on today's show, Ontario locks down again. We'll speak with the host of Toronto Today on 640 Toronto, Greg Brady. Tough, tough year for Alberta's beef producers. Are we looking for better times ahead? And we'll chat with Curtis Stevens. He was the only fan in the stands at the Leaf Senators game. These will be targeted and they will be time limited. The immediate goal of these measures will be to blunt the latest wave so we can ease the pressure on our hospitals and allow more time to deliver these all-important booster shots, which continue at a tremendous pace. It's Ontario Premier Doug Ford yesterday as he announced that that province is going back into, I think they call it step two, but basically it's a lockdown. You know, you're talking gyms, movie theaters, restaurants, the list goes on, schools, um, right back to where we were probably almost a year ago now. So uh, how's that going over in Ontario? Let's find out. We're going to chat now with Greg Brady. Greg is host of Toronto Today on AM640. Uh, Greg, thanks so much for your time this morning. Appreciate you joining us. Oh, pleasure to be on uh, with you, Shay. Anytime you've done it for me, I'll do it for you. Absolutely. Uh, that's, uh, that's teamwork. <laughs> <laughs> so just uh, how did this go over? I mean, the announcement from the Premier yesterday, was it expected that it would be this far-reaching and sort of back to where we were in the spring of last year? Well, you know, that's a great question, and it depends when you forecast it, because if you told me this in the middle of December, we, we kids got out of school here December 17th for a, a standard, uh, you know, two-week holiday, yep. the three weekends, the 10 days. And so they were meant to be headed back after the stat day yesterday, today. And if you'd asked me December 17th, I think the the winds were, you know, and, and here's what I'd say. Doug Ford does an awful lot via polling and look politicians are political animals at the best of times and yes even at the worst of times and there's a election here in uh, in ontario at the end of june so if you'd asked me on the 17th i felt that the changes had shifted to allowing more individual you know care of of our own household because we handled delta i know the yep. problems that were there in alberta and you came on my show and talked about it in the summer we were a more vaccinated province. We didn't open up quite as swiftly, and thus Premier Ford didn't get quite the same criticism as Premier Kenny. Now, what he did get in the fall was a lot of the a lot of the doctors that that uh, are on the Ontario Science Table would do their media appearances, and I, I started to get a little suspicious. I'm like, it's the same kind of drumbeats over and over again. We're all in trouble. This is going to get us. Here's Delta. And I thought about it, and I'm like, we're very vaccinated, and we know how to risk mitigate. Right. So there was tons of panic when, you know, the Blue Jays came back, or we're hosting, you know, Canada soccer matches with Alfonso Davies that you eventually had out in Edmonton. And it went well. Like, fall went well. School went well. And then there's Omicron. And I thought, I think on the 17th of December, I would have said schools would be open, but we would have reframed uh, what a case is, which we've been doing anyway. I'm sure your show has done the same thing. And it's so just past A to lead with cases. We've yeah, got who cares to at this point, right? I mean, we know the case. We're all vaccinated. It's not the same thing as it was before we had vaccines. A hundred percent. And for schools at the elementary level, the one distinction that I would make constantly on the air is, I get it. If you're a parent of a five to 11 sure. year old and you choose to get your, you want that choice to get your kid vaccinated, before we're all sort of not quite let it rip, but yeah. but before we're a lot more managing individual risk with an endemic virus that clearly cannot be, you know, stamped out or just or destroyed. And I would say that for the two weeks that schools were closed, 
cases rose exponentially. We all cut down our gatherings. We all made Christmas different, New Year's different than we might have forecast two months ago. We all did that. Sure. And we still knew cases would rise. So I think it's a little bit, I'm a bit surprised by what Doug Ford did, because as a conservative-leaning government, conservatives don't like lockdowns. They don't have to be right or moral about it, but they don't like them. And it's, it's the opposite of what we see in the states, where if you close down too hard and you're a Democratic governor, it's the Republicans that are yelling for schools to open. But we have nobody yelling to open schools now because the liberals and NDP don't really know how to criticize this because they'll say, well, we want safe schools, but they're not saying we want open schools. Well, this is the thing. I mean, and like you say, schools, we were told right from the get-go here, well, shortly after this all started, schools are the last thing to close and the first thing to open. And it seems to be that sort of working. And then, um, I mean, in Alberta, we're talking about pushing the schools back for a week, at least. We, we don't really know. We're expecting more information today. But they were supposed to open this week. Now we're saying, okay, we'll do it next week. But in Ontario, they paused schools for what, at least two weeks or is it three? It's two, back okay. on uh, Monday the 17th. And I, I think most observers would be surprised if they open on the 17th. I mean, the framework, I can, like anecdotally, my kids' high school closed with three positive asymptomatic, fully vaccinated cases, and they closed the school of 2,000 people. Now, 2,000 kids. Now, clearly with Omicron, we have to re... Omicron's everywhere. Yes, it is. You're not going to be able to have a school without it. But are you going to let individual parents, especially at high school, where you've you've had the option for months to have your kid partially or fully vaccinated, are you going to reframe this at any point in time before, say, the end of June to where you say, we're going to let parents decide whether to send their kids or not. And we're going to let teachers even decide if they want. I think 80% of teachers want to be in the classroom. They just don't make as much noise as the 20 that don't. So, Greg, the question is, and I think you're right, a lot of people saying, okay, we need to sit down. We need to have a grown-up conversation about where we are. Because if we're going to be doing the same things we did two years ago, we failed as a species. We're in a different position. We're vaccinated. It should not be the same response and the same reaction. Um, what was the reaction, though, when Doug Ford did, essentially, step two, going back to we're shutting down restaurants, we're shutting down gyms, we're shutting down, you know, even churches have to be reduced. Was the reaction the same, or are people really angry this time? No, it's 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 despair almost more than anger. Yeah. I, I felt the anger in the spring, Shay, when you, you might remember, and I'm sure a lot of people in Alberta joked about it, how we had golf courses closed for five. We were the only place in North America where you could, like my dad's 77 years old. All he wanted to do after being locked down all summer was go out with my mom and, uh, and for them to go play nine holes. And, and, they didn't, and the weather finally got nice. We finally felt a little bit of free. As you saw, the Leafs got bounced out in the first round of the playoffs. So we thought, let's continue a lot of springtime traditions out here. <laughs> the, the players couldn't even go golfing in April, Shea. It's just wrong. And, and so there was more despair then. But you, guess what? You could, you could go outside. You could, kids were practicing sports even before they were allowed to play games. And so even though school went virtual in April here all the way through June, we all know what it's meant to get outside and get that walk in or to go to the gym or do it's minus 15 today. And, yeah, and yeah. like, to, this is the worst time of year right after the holidays to tell people stay indoors. You can't, you can't go out. You can't socialize. You can't do this because again, the despair Shay of doing all the right things so long, so often. And I'll tell you this, I don't know what the motivation right now is for a non-vaccinated person. Like, like when we started to get vaccinated in the summer, Sometimes an unvaccinated person would call my show or, or say, what can you do that I can't? Yeah. And I, I, got, I got nothing. I didn't have anything because we hadn't introduced passports and we didn't say, well, you need it to get to a gym or a restaurant or a ball game or whatever. We didn't have any of that. So they were right then. 
What's their motivation now to get vaccinated? What's their motivation to get their kid vaccinated? They think, well, he's going to be homeschooled for seven weeks. There isn't any, and that's a problem. No, exactly. Yeah, and they're taking victory laps now. Told you, I told you, right? And you know what? They did in a way, right? Um, Doug Ford, he's throwing about a bunch of numbers, talking about hundreds of thousands of cases per day, he's been told. and one. I haven't seen these numbers. Where is he getting these numbers? Do you know? No, the, the biggest controversial one, I'm glad you brought that up, was one that he 1%? said 1% of Omicron cases end up hospitalized. The the, the, the government put out um, numbers today that suggested 0.3. So, you know, it, if you, I guess if you, if you round up to the nearest percentage, <laughs> that's not zero. But that made people worried, thinking 100 Omicron cases... And one ends up hospitalized. And what I'm what I'm here. Look, we've got a nursing shortage. There's no doubt about that. We've got ICUs that aren't full, but we're struggling the same way I'm sure Albertans yeah. are with uh, with staffing sure. issues. We're going to have staffing issues in school classrooms, in hospitals. This is going to be a really problematic six weeks, whether or not the ICU beds actually fill to capacity or not. And and I, I'm willing to listen both ways on that. We've Sometimes we've thought we've been right. Well, they won't fill up. They do. Sometimes the experts, so-called experts, say they'll fill up, and they don't. Same, that's exactly what happened with Delta here between August and October. Um, we handled it remarkably well. With you know, They opened schools, and, school, and cases went down in the province for, for almost three months consecutively till Omicron. So, you know, you ask that, and I'm like, it, it's, yeah, some of the data is... Really, really fuzzy, but again, it's it's not. We don't have we don't have a real political, you know, um, how would I put confrontation on this here because the NDP and the Liberals are sort of. Well, it's unfortunate that schools had to close, but we've got nobody advocating for them to be open. We've got nobody advocating hmm. for it, it's unbelievable. A four-year-old, an unvaccinated four-year-old, can go to daycare today. Yeah, a five-year-old vaccinated kindergartner can't go tomorrow because to, to school because it's it's just too dangerous. Just yeah, too I dangerous. Think, I think that's the thing, Greg. Is it stopped making sense? A lot of the things that are happening, like you say, that that makes no sense. There, there's no way to explain that to anybody. And and once it doesn't make sense, and it doesn't make sense in so many areas. I mean. If you're watching hockey this weekend, you flip over to the Oilers and the Senators, or the Leafs and the Senators, and there's nobody in the building, not a soul, and then you flip over to an American game, and they're packed. It's just, how does any of this make sense? People are getting really frustrated and really confused, so we'll just watch and see where it goes, I guess, hey? Yeah, that's that's how it's going to go. Even even for sports, you can imagine, you know, how the whole country got swept up in the in the Toronto Raptors. Kyle Lowry's coming back here on February 2nd. What to to play his first game as a, as a Miami Heat player in an empty field. Like, do you put the video tribute on anyway, Shane? <laughs> like, there's nobody there except his former teammates. There's no fans in the building. I know. So strange. All right, Greg, we'll check in and, uh, and we'll see how things go. But I appreciate your time this morning. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, stay well out there, Shay. Happy to be on. Thanks again. You bet. That's Greg Brady, who is host of Toronto Today on AM640. Uh, Bob, thanks for joining us this morning. Appreciate your time. Uh, hi, Shay, and Happy New Year's to you. Yeah, Happy New Year to you too, sir. Um, okay, so uh, ostensibly what we're going to do here is talk about the, the state of the cattle industry, specifically in our province, but around the world. And and I know, uh, not knowing much about uh, cattle producing, 2021 was a year from hell, right? It was horrible, wasn't it? <laughs> well, we we can't do anything about Mother Nature and, and drought. And that was, yeah, that was... An unprecedented drought in its scope, just the size, just the sheer size of it. And and what was the implication? I mean, in terms of what it meant for producers in our part of the world, just how hard hit they were by that drought. What did it mean? 
basically, because of the drought, what little feed that was produced was way higher price, like approximately double in price from what it was the year before, just supply and demand on the feed. And now, having said that, the drought also affected the grain cereal crops and so there was there was a certain amount of salvage from cereal crops that would that were droughted out that were too just too bad to combine. Mm-hmm. So they went into cattle feed. So there was a little more feed than we had expected. But you know, right now in our case, we're feeding corn that we're bringing up from Iowa. You know, that's kind of unheard of for our operation anyway. Just just the scope of it, all of Western North America, basically. And, you know, I mean, we know obviously that it, it caused all kinds of problems, but what did kind of, what kind of decisions did you have to make and other ranchers in Alberta have to make? I mean, did you have to, to get rid of some of your animals? Did you have to change the way you did business? We didn't, but a lot of people did. Um, yeah, big decisions. Like, you know, you put your lifetime into a cow herd, and then you can't feed them. So, yeah, there was there was a... A lot more calling went on than normally. Yeah. Than than you'd normally see. Some some herds had to be completely dispersed. Uh, the the mental the mental side of things for a producer who's we've just been hit with one thing after another and and it's a tough thing. Some people just said to heck with it. This is this is the final straw. We're Re- just quitting. But really, a lot of people just got got right out of the industry altogether. I, I suspect. Yeah, there was a lot of herds that were completely dispersed, and you know. Some of these people will come back in, but probably a lot of them won't. Um, how did the pandemic fit into all this? Obviously, it didn't make anything <laughs> easier for anybody. What did it do for you guys? The pandemic's always there, it seems to me. I don't know if we'll ever be over it, but it's it, it didn't really affect the beef industry in 2021. Yeah. Um, 2020, we had the closure of that packing plant, which was a big thing. But, mm-hmm. I mean, the demand for beef is huge still both in North America and globally. So the, the pandemic, other than other than the fact it's always there, and, you know, we were short-staffed on occasions and things, but it wasn't a, a major effect other than the supply chain stuff. You know, trying to find parts is almost impossible. The cost of fuel, the cost of replacement parts, machinery, everything has just gone right through the roof because of pandemic-caused global supply chain issues. Yeah, I mean, we're all paying more, but I imagine for somebody, you know, and on a scale like you're operating, I mean, just fuel costs alone, right? I mean, they've got to be, they're almost double, aren't they? Uh, yeah, I would say that they probably are double. Now, there's a certain rebate on some of it, uh, and that's not all pandemic. Part of that's carbon tax. Yeah, yeah. And now we get a, a rebate on the carbon tax on our fuel usage in the form of diesel and gas, but you don't for propane or natural gas. And further down the chain, uh, truckers don't get a rebate on carbon, on the carbon tax. So, of course, their rates went up. So it's just trucking rates, you know, from northern Alberta to southern Alberta basically doubled. Yep. Uh, which is adding to the cost of feed. It's, it's taking away from the price of cattle. Just, it's just, and, and that's mostly all, mostly pandemic costs caused. But so, Bob, we're talking about all the kind of costs that have gone up so much. What about uh, what you're getting for the animals when uh, on the other side of the ledger here? Uh, how has that gone over the course of 2021? And is the reason for optimism? Uh, we're actually 
I'm amazed at how the price of these cattle have stayed up, of the feeder cattle, calves and yearlings. You know, when you look at the industry as a whole, there's, there's a lot of money in the cattle industry. The problem is right now is one segment of that industry is getting most of that money, which would be the processors. Okay. And that's supply and demand. We've got a big supply and a huge demand, so the processors don't have to really pay a lot of money. That's going to switch around. The good, the good thing is, is there is money in the industry somewhere. Yeah. There was, we'd be in a lot worse shape if there was no money anywhere in the industry. As the, as the supply dwindles, which it's going to, I mean, the cattle numbers in the States are going down. Cattle numbers in Canada are obviously, are obviously going down. And on a global scale, you know, Australia has no cattle. Brazil has no cattle. Basically, they, they've just gone down a lot. So the supply of cattle is going to be getting less and less and less. The demand I can't see going down. We're in a we're producing protein in a protein deficient world. So what I see is the the that profitability in the cattle industry is going to start to shift okay. from the packers on down the chain. Well, I'm wondering because at the store, Bob, we're paying so much more for beef, right? I mean, mm-hmm. some like you say, right. somebody's making money off of this. Sure, and it, it's it's right at the moment. It's the packers, uh, and that that's. I mean, beef at the store is outrageous, but that's world demand for beef. That's a global demand. That's not necessarily, I mean, I don't believe retailers are, are jacking up the price. I don't believe the packers are jacking up the price. It's just the demand. and You know, you want to sell to the highest bidder. Sure, yeah. And that, that's just the way it goes. And that, you know, hopefully that demand does not drop. Um. From my point of view, from a cow-calf producer and a feedlot operator, because that's what's going to keep making me profitable coming up. It'd just be nice to see that profit spread out to more of the industry, which will happen. So 2022, you're thinking it'll be better just because, I mean, we've seen such a drop in the in the number of actual cattle that's out there. I'm sure it'll be better. Mind you, the new year is always a time for optimism. <laughs> if, if, we didn't, if we didn't have optimism, we wouldn't be around, but... but it's, you know, barring things that are beyond our control, it should be a pretty good year. And, and you know, 2021, we had some wins. Yeah. Uh, the the OIE accepting our status as negligible risk for BSE. So that, that's huge. That, that took a long away, time coming. Yeah, 17 or 18 years or something. But And that takes away, assuming people are going to trade, make science-based trade, that takes away any reason to discount our cattle over our competitors' cattle. Okay. You know, that, that's a big deal. And we also, which is seems a little bit pie-in-the-sky stuff, but we moved the, the UN and their food security talks, moved them from anti-animal agriculture to accepting that we need all types of agriculture. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a huge win for, the, for animal agriculture, for the beef industry. How so? What's that? How so? Well, it, it when you get the UN saying that you can't have a, a cattle industry because it's it's too hard on the environment, it's too hard, whatever. So we just have to go to strictly plant based protein. Mm-hmm. When they're saying that, that's 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 kind of a bad thing for us <laughs> producing cattle. But we we moved their their conversation through their UN uh, food security dialogues that they had over the course of summer and the fall. Moved their their. Uh, dialogue from we don't need animal agriculture to we need all types of agriculture. It has to be a balanced system. Now, that's that's 
for future stuff, that's a really big deal. Yeah, now, I mean, obvious. The UN's a yeah, the UN's a pretty big organization, and it looks to me like one hand doesn't know what the other hand's doing a lot of times, but. We moved a chunk of it, we'll say. Well, this is the thing, Bob, and you know what? It goes to any of these kind of climate change discussions. Anytime we have them here, you know, whether you're talking about oil and gas, you're talking about agriculture, it doesn't matter. There's all these things that they would like to see happen, these things that need to happen. And then it's like you say, well, we're in a protein-deficient world. I mean, reality is sitting there, and it's kind of like, well, okay, maybe we can't do everything that we want to do. We need to deal with the reality on the ground, right? That's what it comes down to. Exactly. And it's it's you compared it right with oil and gas. I mean, the reality is... We can go all to alternative forms of energy, but it's not going to happen overnight. Right. And the reality is, well, look at the price of the world price of oil, um, world price of natural gas. The reality is, is we need this stuff. And we need all forms of food, including beef. So and that, that's the reality. So people can say what they want, but we're in a fuel, de- basically a fuel deficient world, I guess, judging by the price, and a protein deficient world, yeah, yeah. judging by the price. So if we're producing protein, it's got to be a good thing. I hear you. Yeah. Hey, hey, while I got you, Bob, and this is completely ridiculous, do you watch Yellowstone? <laughs> yeah, I do, actually. Oh, okay, <laughs> good. Awesome. Now, you, you're you a guy raised on a ranch. You're a cowboy through and through from a, you know, from a long line of cowboys. When you watch that show, is it ridiculous, or can I think, boy, those guys are real cowboys? <laughs> I think there's some good and some, and some bad. I mean, we don't have helicopters. <laughs> and we we definitely don't live in a mansion, and you know we we don't have uh, what do they call it a train station? No, you don't have that, hey? Oh, we don't have that. <laughs> but the, there is some stuff in there that I'm seeing. You know, their fight with with uh, that group, a development group, wanting to make a ski hill out of, out yeah, of the yeah, land, yeah. and trying to save the land. I mean, that goes on all the time, and that that's where there is a. I think Yellowstone is making basically urban people aware of, of these problems that we we've been contending with for years and years and years. I think you're right. Um, I think it shows just the beauty, the majesty and the importance of the land that a lot of us, I mean, we're not familiar with it, right? Especially those yeah. of us that live in the city, we just don't have this understanding of it. No, the, the importance of the land and, and, uh, how do you put it? the bond between the land and the owner of the land, the bond between the rancher and the land. You know, it's it's beyond the bond between the rancher and his cattle. It's it's the land, right? That we're concerned about. So, you, but if I'm okay, but I'm talking about the cowboy stuff that these guys do. Mm-hmm. Do you guys do that? Are you out riding the range on the horses still? I mean, does that kind of stuff oh, yeah. still happen? Yep, yep. We do a lot. Uh, it depends where you are and what part of the world you're in. But a lot of our land is up in the mountains, and you know where we where we summer our cattle, and you can't get there anyway but a horse. You know, okay. we, we use horses on our operation. We use horses a lot because they're just the best way to do it. All right. So if we're watching Yellowstone and thinking those guys are real cowboys, in a lot of cases, they actually are, hey? It's not Hollywood yep. stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, they actually are. <laughs> I, I've been really impressed at the horsemanship on that show, actually. Well, apparently some of them actually are real cowboys. Like, they're not actors first. They're cowboys first, apparently. Yeah. I think that's right. And, I mean, the, some of the horsemanship shows that. Yeah. Are there? I mean, like, are there still cowboys? I mean, are you having it? Can you get them in when you need them? Is are there still people that are doing that out there, Bob? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. good. There's there's lots of people that that's that's what they want to do. They just want to be cowboys and ride the range and and there, there's we have no trouble sourcing that that type of an employee if that's what we need. Really? Hey, excellent. I'm yeah. I'm glad to hear that. I'm really glad to hear that. 
Um, and I'm glad to hear that watching Yellowstone is, is got a little bit of authenticity to it. It makes me feel a little better about it. Yeah, no, it does. It's it's that to me the big meaning of it is is showing the bond between the the rancher and the land. Yeah, yeah. And how important it is, and how close they feel to. And it's like you say, mm-hmm. it, it, their entire life, it, they're, they're intertwined. The land and their lives are one and the same in a lot of ways. Yep, exactly. Awesome, Bob. Thank you so much, and I wish you a happy new year. And thanks for joining us today. Okay. Well, I sure appreciate the opportunity, and thank you. And you have a happy new year yourself. Yeah, Bob, Bob Lowe, president of the Canadian Cattlemen's uh, Foundation. He's been on the show before. He'll be on the show again. I love talking to, to Bob, and and uh, interesting to get the insight on how we're making some headway in terms of um, the cattle producers. And he's optimistic about twenty twenty two. Really, really glad to hear that. Curtis from Alberta, or at LeafGuy403 on Twitter. And you have to check this out because it goes along with our guest, who is Curtis from Alberta, Curtis Stevens. Curtis, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate your time. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm really good. Okay, so you're still in Toronto right now, right? I am, yeah. Okay, but where are you from originally? You're an Alberta boy. Yeah, um, born uh, just outside of Calgary, and I've, uh, I live in Redcliffe, Alberta, a small town out there. Okay, gotcha. Now, you're a massive Leafs fan, right? Like a huge Leafs fan? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm a, yeah, I guess you could say that. Yeah, I'm a, <laughs> definitely a huge Leafs fan, yeah. And this has been a lifelong affliction? This has been right from as long as you can remember? You've been a diehard Leafs fan? Yeah, when I was young, that's why I became a Leafs fan. Uh, we didn't have cable, so CBC was the only channel we got. Yep. So uh, I used to watch Hockey Night in Canada, and that's the Leafs every Saturday. So, and then it just, uh, yeah, it just grew from there. Okay. Now, we know whenever they go to Calgary, whenever they come to Edmonton, um, there is a huge contingent of Leafs fans in the building. So we know you're not alone. But you decided to take it one step further, and you booked a trip to go watch the Leafs play in Toronto, right? That's right. Yeah, I wanted to see him here at home, and uh, yeah, it didn't go as planned, but it was, uh, it was perfect. <laughs> okay, so when did you start planning this trip? It was planned two years ago, um, and then two weeks uh, before my trip was uh, when COVID started, um, and then it got pushed off, and then uh, so I rebooked uh, six months ago for for this trip. Yeah, and everything was good; the buildings were full. I thought, here we go, and then <laughs> once again, a month before my trip, everything uh, it changes again. And so you were, I mean, you were all set to go, ready to go, and then we find out that the Leafs are no longer going to have fans in the building. Right? That was the announcement. That's right. How much notice did you have from when you were supposed to go to when they made that announcement? A week. Uh, first, the Jeez. games were postponed, and I thought, oh, now I'm not even going to get to see hockey. And then they said, okay, we're opening it up to half capacity. Yeah. Thought, Perfect. At least I'll, I'll get to go. And then suddenly it shut down completely to no fans. And I was just like, my trip's non-refundable. It's non-transferable. Like, I'm going. And the only reason I'm here is to see the Leafs. So uh, it was heart-wrenching uh, for sure. Now, I can, I can, I, the, the amazing part to me is somehow, some way, you got to be the only fan in the building to watch that game on. How did that happen, Curtis? How did it end up that you managed to get into the building? Honestly, I, I put a I put, I put a message out on Twitter just to ask Leafs Nation, who have been just outstanding. They're so welcoming and uh, supportive um, just for help. I said, I got to get this video in front of the Leafs. Like, I, I'm coming. I'm a big fan. Anybody that's seen me knows I'm a, I'm a genuine fan. And I got uh, Dave from the MLSE. Um, he reached out to me and said, hey, you come as my guest. 
Um, and, uh, you know, he pulled some strings and worked his magic and I got to go as his guest as, you know, got a media pass and the whole nine. It was just incredible. <laughs> okay. So you're the, were you legitimately the only fan? Like, was there anybody else in the building? How weird was that? It was, um, yeah, I think there was friends and family there. Um, and uh, other than that, no, there was there was no other fans. The good news is I won the 50-50. The bad news is it was five bucks. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, there, it was it was, um, it was was different. Um, I wanted to be there with Leafs Nation and yeah. drink that stadium beer and, and celebrate, but it was a different kind of once-in-a-lifetime experience. Like, who else can say they've... Uh, They've seen a hockey night in Canada in Toronto in an empty building. Yeah, no kidding. And and you went all out. I mean, if anybody's looking at your Twitter feed, I mean, you've got the jersey, you've got the flag, you got the helmet, your face is painted. Like you didn't hold back because you're the only one. You were gonna you were gonna milk this for everything that it was worth, right? Well, I traveled a long way for that moment, so I wasn't gonna just show up in a jersey and and you know clap a little bit. I was gonna scream and let them know I was there for them. Okay, now you're still there, and we're a few days down the road. So, did you have? Were you gonna go to to other games? Did you have other things that you wanted to do in Toronto? Yeah, I was supposed to go to two other games: Carolina on Monday and Edmonton on Wednesday. And uh, Carolina got postponed, and then Edmonton. I was going to still go as a guest, but then the Ontario, you know, shut down, shut down. And yeah. uh, so there's not even any friends or family allowed. It's just essential. So now I'm, uh, I'm looking at booking an early flight home before it locks down uh, tomorrow, just because uh, I don't want to get stuck here as much as I love it. I don't want to get stuck here. <laughs> so what have you been doing the past couple of days? Is there anything to do in Toronto? Uh, yeah, I went uh, and uh, um, saw Real Sports Apparel and got some more uh, game-used uh, memorabilia and walked around the arena and just, uh, yeah, taking pictures of everything like a tourist. Good for you, man. That's fantastic. What a great story. So uh, is that your first trip to a Leafs game in Toronto? Correct. Oh, yeah. perfect. Okay. And you know what? I'm a Bruins fan, so I don't like anything that Toronto does, but I have to say in this case, Curtis... Well done, Leafs. This is uh, oh, this was, is pretty it was awesome. Amazing. It was a dream come true. So I, I thank them and I thank Leafs Nation for uh, for putting the video out and being so awesome and supportive and helping a guy that you know they've never met. So it was just incredible. Yeah, it's an amazing story, Curtis. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you joining us. Oh no, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, you bet. That's Curtis Stevenson, who's from Redcliffe, uh, Alberta. Thanks for listening today. To hear any of our other interviews, you can find them wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us.